Hello and welcome to Women in Confidence with me, Vanessa Murphy, HR expert, confidence coach, and now podcaster. This podcast discusses all things to do with confidence in life and in work. And this is a podcast for women who want to learn what confidence is, how to obtain it, and how to maintain it, and learn how confidence can help you grow and flourish. Every week, I introduce you to amazing women who have interesting stories to tell about confidence. Through their stories, insights, hints and tips, you realise that a lack of self-belief or low self-esteem is common and also very human. But by listening to them, you'll take away what they have done to show up confidently on the inside as well as on the outside. Welcome to season three of Women in Confidence. I'm Vanessa Murphy, the host, and I can tell you now I have some incredible guests lined up for you this season. And if you're a regular to Women in Confidence, then you know that I only bring the best onto the show. But before I introduce you to this week's show, I've got two asks of you. The first one is if you're enjoying Women in Confidence, please can you rate it, review it and share it amongst your family, friends and work colleagues. And that's on whatever listening app that you use. And then my second ask is I'm looking for some sponsorship for Women in Confidence, whether that's a full season or just one episode. Now, Women in Confidence is something I absolutely love doing and I do all the sourcing of my guests. I do all the recording, editing, marketing, etc. on my own whilst having a full-time job and also running a coaching business. So as you can probably tell, I am very busy. And sponsorship will help to keep Women in Confidence going by getting help for some of those tasks. So if you, your business or a business you might know is interested, please can you email me on contact at vanessa-murphy.com. So on to the first episode of season three, and we're getting off with a bang. My guest this week is Dr. Carol Parker Walsh, and she's a powerhouse when it comes to helping high achieving professional women design and achieve a career, a brand and a life they love. She is the go to coach for many, many successful people, including award winners, gold medalists and Fortune 500 executives. And also, did I mention she's an award winning, best selling author? She's been described as a cross between Michelle Obama and Beyonce. And that alone is a good reason to get onto the show. Carol, hello and welcome to Women in Confidence. I'm just amazed to have you here. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I am honoured and excited to be here with you. But I was thinking about it just before we um, came on and I just thought, do you know what? I feel like I've hit the big time now having you on here because <laughs> I just like the the list and your introduction. <laughs> and actually it was just a, the, the introduction was just like a pricey of what you've done. I just think, wow, I'm going places now with this podcast. So I'm absolutely honoured to have you on. Oh, you, thank you so much. Could you just tell everybody where you're recording today? Because I love I love the Internet and I love the fact we can talk to each other in different sides of the world. I know. It's so it's awesome. I am in Washington state. So I'm in the Pacific Northwest, which is uh, a couple of states above California on the West Coast. And are you so I'm morning here. What where what time is it or what? It is the early evening, late afternoon. So it's four o'clock p.m. Oh. <laughs> I love it. I just I get so excited about this part of it just because I love the fact that we can have a conversation about women and confidence yeah. From different hemispheres and different sides of the world. But it's it's just the beauty of having a conversation with somebody who's so experienced. Dive straight into this and ask you a question, which I ask of all my guests. What does it mean 
to have confidence? Yeah, that is such a great question. I see it as a couple of things or two different things. I see confidence is when you have evidence or proof of your ability to do something. So you've done something, you've accomplished some things in the past, and you can rely on that to know that, okay, this is something that I can do. And I differentiate that a little bit from self-confidence in that for me, self-confidence is more future-focused in that you have a belief that you can do hard things. You have a belief in the ability that you can accomplish anything that you set your mind to and get whatever results that you want to achieve. And why is being self-confident? And you mentioned hard there and hard work, and maybe that's some of the, the answer, but why is being confident so difficult to obtain and then to keep? Yeah, I believe it's challenging because of a lot of false narratives that we hold throughout our lives, whether they've been fed to us through our family, whether they've been fed to us societally, um, you know, this idea, this fear of failing and self-doubt. I think we're riddled with so much of that, that it becomes challenging to try to do something new. And every time our brain is faced with trying to do something new, it gets overwhelmed or panicked or fearful that it's going to be horrible, right? So when we don't know what's on the other side of a choice or a decision, we get really worried about what the outcome will be. And because we don't want to look foolish or embarrass ourselves or, or feel bad, then we start thinking in our minds that we don't want to go there. We don't want to do it because of all the other potential horrible consequences. So for me, the reason that it's a challenge is because of our thinking, of our belief systems, of our whatever we've told ourselves and believe to be true is what the thing that holds us back. And that's why I say self-confidence is more forward focused, because if we look to our past, which could give us evidence of things that we've we've done before and that we could do again, when we're faced to do something new that's different, all of a sudden, all of that gets thrown out of the water. And then we just have to rely on our own belief system that we can do it that and it is hard it is it is hard to get over that hump to go ahead and try to do something that you have no idea how it's going to turn out and to me that's another aspect of self-confidence it's not about whether or not you succeed in what you're doing but that you trust yourself that you can at least try and it's about forward movement and forward action So I think that's the thing that gets us tripped up is just previous false narratives and just self-doubt and particularly stories that women have heard about what we can do and what we can have and can have and and on and on and on. Um, And so I think that's a big contributor to it. So you've talked about a few things that I just want to unpack. One is about false narrative. The other one is about belief systems. And then this bit about this forward action and you might not know what's going to happen and there's a fear element to it. So just on the false narrative and probably related to some extent to belief systems, how can you unpack that or silence it or extinguish it so that actually there isn't a fear and therefore mm-hmm. forward action is becomes easy, it becomes natural and a habit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I believe it's asking ourselves the questions when we get faced with something fearful and we start telling ourselves or, you know, we have this thing in our head saying what we can't do or that's not available to us or that'll be too hard is to really ask ourselves, where does that come from? 
Like what is, whose voice is that? Why do I believe that? We have to start challenging these things that we've been accepting as truths. And I believe that's the pathway to unpack the false narratives because it could have been, for example, when you were a young child, your father casually said something to you that implanted something in your mind that you've accepted to or, or, or took that to mean that something is not available or that you can't do that. Something as trivial as that girls can't do that. Or why are you trying to do that? That's too hard for you. Or you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be going in that direction. You know, you're a girl, you should be doing this, right? It could be as benign as those little comments that get planted in our mind to believe that we shouldn't do that. You know, even when I think of the, you know, I mean, I'm older than you. So I grew up in a gender, you know, you heard the sugar and spice and everything nice. And that, you know, girls were supposed to be little ladies and, and to be seen and not heard and um, to not challenge boys or to be too smarter than a boy because you may not be able to get a husband or, um, you know, I mean, it goes on and on. But these little gems that were dropped throughout our lives, if we've adapted those somewhere in our mindset to say, oh, that's the way it is, we, in our subconscious, when we get faced with something, we'll convince ourselves that that's not available to us or we can't do that based on just these false ideas and narratives and beliefs that we've adopted to be true when they're not true. So for me, the way to unpack them is to challenge them. So as soon as you start thinking you can't do something is to start asking yourself, well, why can't I do it? And where is that coming from? And why, who said that that's not available for me or I can't do X, Y, Z? And I can see a sign behind you. And I know the listeners won't be able to see it, but it's um, there's a sign behind Carol that says, embrace your inner rebel, yes. which I love. And is that, <laughs> is that part of, or is that statement part of challenging yourself? So rebelling yes. against yourself. Yeah, for me, it's it's a rebelling against the narrative, rebelling against societal ideas and expectations. We, particularly women, get fed so much information about what we should look like, how we should act, who we should be. We get so bombarded with so much stuff that for me, the act of rebellion is to reject all of that and to start listening to yourself and listening to your own intuition and listening to what's right for you and making decisions based on prioritizing what you want as opposed to everything else around you. And that's really an act of rebellion because women have been raised to be nurturers and care about what other people think and people pleasers and on and on and on that it almost really is an act of rebellion to say, you know, I'm going to, what do I want to do? And let that be the priority and let that be the thing. And to take risks and challenges and to go out there and try things and not knowing what the outcome will be, but, but knowing that I'm going to learn from the outcome. It, it, for me, it's, it's redefining and re thinking about the idea of failure and risk, you know, in a different way than I think how we've been fed and taught um, to believe about those things. And with your business, you focus on, well, first of all, you focus on high achieving women, mm-hmm. where I imagine the fear of failure is perhaps greater. But yes. also you focus on women who are at midlife. Yeah. And I wondered why midlife and the rebel thing, this is making me curious. Is it because people get to their midlife and go, I'm going to swear, fuck it. <laughs> I'm going to rebel. Is it, what is it? I just want to unpack why midlife? Yeah, that, yeah. The reason that I focus on midlife is because you would think 
at some level, women get to midlife and say, you know, fuck it, I'm going to do what I want. But you'd be surprised how by the time you get to midlife, you've been so indoctrinated into a way of being and thinking that it becomes even harder to rebel because you have so much in your mind to lose, right? Now you have a family, you have a mortgage, you have a 401k, you have expectations of other family members. You're you're an, you're an older woman, so you shouldn't be acting a certain way or doing a certain thing. All that bullshit that goes along with it, right? You know, and so it becomes even harder sometimes to rebel against that because you have been towing the line for so many years that you don't even know how to fight against the system, if you will. And, and so you've been going along for so long that to stand up for yourself, it shakes other people up around you, right? Because your kids have gotten used to you being a certain way, or your parents have gotten used to you being a certain way. Everyone around you has, has seen you in a certain light. And when you start pushing against that, other people start thinking something's wrong, or they challenge you, or they question you. And no one wants to be questioned or challenged or think we may get put out of the village if we don't if we don't follow suit. So we just kind of acquiesce and go along. So to have women at midlife to really own their value, own their significance, to see their worth and to say, screw everybody else, I'm going to focus on what's important to me is in so many ways an act of rebellion for women at that age. And then get back to high achieving women. And high mm-hmm. achieving, if and I've talked to a lot of high achieving women on this show, and I'm absolutely sure you're probably one of those. <laughs> I guess the fear of failure is yeah. so devastating for a high achiever because failure isn't really in their dictionary. How can you support high achievers to rebel? Because that, to me, is is something they really don't do. They achieve and overachieve and follow the course that's been set for them. Yeah. What I remind them of is that they've already failed so many times before, but they didn't classify it as a failure. And so everything that we ever tried to do, we probably tripped, fall and failed on our way to it. But the end prize was so great that we didn't see those as failures. We saw them as learning opportunities or, okay, that didn't work. Let me get up and try it again, right? You can go back to when we learned to walk, when you were riding a bike, maybe when you learned a language, you probably epically failed the first time you went out there to try to do any of those things. But we didn't see that as a failure. We just, because our eyes were so focused on the outcome and the prize that we wanted. So what I helped them to do is to really redefine find their idea of failing and see it as the learning opportunities that helps us to get to the other side of where we want to go. Because you didn't achieve, high achieving women didn't get where they were without tumbling and tripping and falling a few steps along the way. It just wasn't a red carpet laid out for them. They were scrappy. They were strong. They had to you know, fight against obstacles, stand up against opposition to make it to the other side. And if they start seeing that and, re- and recapturing those experiences, they start to realize that, oh, wait a minute, failure is not a bad thing. In fact, sometimes I'll have them, you know, on the way to a goal is to shoot for failing 10 times, you know, as, as part of the goal so that they can see those as progression and movement toward what they want to achieve and learning opportunities that they could really, you know, hold on to as, as um, successes along the way. But I guess with high achieving sort of midlife women, the stakes are really high because yes. they may be in, you know, 
pu- the public eye, for example, or positions of authority, you know, running companies, CEOs, et cetera, et cetera. So the stakes are higher. So failure yes. perhaps feels a little bit more, well, even more fearful perhaps because the appears to be more to lose. You are exactly right. And that's the thing that holds people back. But that's where the confidence comes in. That's that's in the belief in your ability to do hard things and come to the other side of that. It's also holding on to the beauty of the journey and not so focused on the destination. And that's, to me, part of what comes and what builds confidence is the fact that you've taken these steps and tried things and they may have worked out or not worked out, but you build so much um, evidence and self-efficacy and confidence in yourself along the way that you know you can do hard things later on. And you're right, the stakes are higher. But I think what what often happens is our idea of what could go wrong are usually 10 times greater than the actuality of it, right? We think if we trip or fall here, that somehow or other, we're going to lose all that credibility, that we're going to lose all of that social capital that we've built. We're going to be the laughing stock of the world. However, if you can see the process as something that everyone goes through and it's a learning opportunity, you can take even a flub or a slip and turn it into something that can actually be excessively supportive in terms of your narrative, your brand, your story, in terms of where you're going. So it really is perspective. It's how we think about it. It's how we think about the things that are um, happening around us that really make the bigger difference. So if our thought process is that this is a great opportunity and in the failing, look how much I've achieved, as opposed to if I fail, I'm going to be the laughing stock. I'm going to lose everything and everything that I work so hard for will be gone. If we can shift our thinking around that, it makes it completely a different experience. And how easy is it to do that shift the thinking? Oh, it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put it out there right now. Yeah. There's work to be done, people. Absolutely, there's work to be done. This is not an overnight proposition because you think about, particularly with women in midlife, you've built 45, 50 years of a pretty solid thought pattern in your brain and a pretty active way of going. So to go against that, like I said, it's it's even an act of rebellion in your own mind. So it is not an easy proposition. However, it is a doable one. And it just takes daily practice, daily commitment to really manage your thinking. Our confidence is a feeling that comes from our thoughts and beliefs about what we believe is true or not true. So if we can every day do the mindset work, the thought work, to really look for the evidence that we've done things in the past, look for the evidence that we've done hard things before, go back and look for that evidence that you may have fallen, but nothing horrible happened to you. When we can look at that and and use that to support us to continue to move forward, then we can get there. But it really is a daily practice of doing that. And trust me, even in the daily practice, you're going to come up to something and all of a sudden that fear, that self-doubt, all that's going to come back. I, I would lie to you if I said that you're never going to feel fear or doubt or, or limiting beliefs or things of that nature. But what happens in the daily practice is that it doesn't become so powerful that it keeps you from moving forward. And that's the goal. So that when the fear comes up, you know what it is, you identify it, you're like, oh, that's an old limiting belief, but we, we're not going to go that route, we're going to go this route. So you're able to handle it in such a better way than you could if you didn't start doing that work. And applying that to yourself, 
I mean, you are a confident person. You, you know, you're you give off, you know, radiate self confidence and your you know your self belief, self esteem. Do you do that practice on yourself? Is that something that you have to do still? Every day, every day. You know, when I get an uh, an email or a call from a client that will even say to me, nothing horrible, but they couldn't find something in like the membership portal that I have or or a document had typos on it or or um, they didn't understand my directions. That little bit will send me off into like, oh, my God, I'm horrible. <laughs> Like, what am I doing? How can I not? You know, I have this image and this reputation and now it's all ruined because I've done this. You know, I mean, I can spin out of control too. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't go away. But I realize when that's going on, what's happening. And it's just part of that high achieving, don't fail, be a perfectionist, you know, always show your best narrative that's playing in my mind that I have to remember I'm only human. Just because there's a typo doesn't mean that all the rest of the, all the rest of the work isn't great and amazing, that the client is making progress and doing good work. I have to go back to remembering the good stuff and not focus on the little things that that could potentially mean um, and, and spin me out of a loop. So absolutely, I have to practice it every day. And it doesn't take much to like trigger you know, those high, that's the thing about high achieving people. We have very small triggers that if we don't look our best all the time and are presenting our best foot forward, it could really dev- be devastating. And so that's why it's so important to do that daily work every day so that we don't sink back into doubting, self-doubt or limiting beliefs or, or any of those things that prevent us from continuing to move forward, to do the work we're meant to do, to put ourselves out there and make the difference that I know we can all make. And so you spoke about the triggers that were perhaps more negative. So the typo in the email, the, you know, the access or the password into the system, but what other triggers the the same for something that happens positive? And I use, I want to say, I got an email asking me to be a speaker at an event. And I, immediately I was like, well, that, why me? Uh, why me? Am I good enough? So it's not a bad thing. Like nobody's criticized mm-hmm. a typo in my email, but it's a good thing. And I, I, I use myself as an example, but I'm sure that happens to many women. Something good happens and the trigger starts yes. again. Is it the same? Yeah. Oh, yes. And that's, that's, it's absolutely the same. You know, that's that old dreaded imposter syndrome that, you know, we're being asked to do something that everyone else sees our brilliance and fabulousness, but we're like, what me? No, I couldn't possibly do it. That used to happen to me. I, I was a trial attorney for several years. And before I stepped into a courtroom, I was in the bathroom vomiting because I was like, I'm going to blow it. <laughs> My client's going to lose her job. You know, you know, giving, being handed cases or handed assignments or, you know, um, I remember the first time I facilitated a leadership retreat for a big organization and, you know, again, having to like take a break telling them I had to go to the bathroom, but I had to like go cry in the corner because I thought, what am I doing? I'm going to ruin this whole thing, right? So having great opportunities can be just as, it can be just as trying as the negative ones. And again, it goes back to what we believe about ourselves, right? It's that fear of what if I get it wrong? It's the fear of what if I screw up? It's, it's the fear of, you know, what damage will I do? But 
when all of that comes up, because again, our brain gets weirded out when we start presenting it with new opportunities, we have to remind ourselves, we have to go back into that vault of, wait a minute, I've done this before. I've done things like this before, I've, or just I've done hard things before. I've spoken in front of groups before. You know, I know my stuff. I know everybody's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And so it's really talking ourselves out of it. It's, it's capturing what's happening and being able to bring in the evidence to show that we can do it, to move forward through it. So you've already mentioned you were a trial attorney and I was going to ask you how what was your journey to becoming you know a business owner a TED talk speaker you know a a sought out coach for high achieving women you know midlife women what was your journey to this? Yeah I, I feel like I've been in the employment space for almost 30 years so I started as a labor and employment attorney and did employment discrimination litigation for about 10 years and um, got burnt out of that. The, the profession, what I realized of law is so adversarial and my nature is more mediative and to try to come up with solutions as opposed to fighting all the time. Um, and so I moved from that into doing organizational consulting work and HR work. I was a director for HR. I helped to create HR departments. They, It, it was a good way for me to utilize my legal knowledge of employment law to help organizations and then doing consulting and, and training and development and coaching and things of that nature, all the work that I really enjoy doing. And then I went back to school and uh, got my doctorate and went into academia and start teaching in leadership and leadership development and things of that nature. Um, and then moved into academic leadership and became a director and a dean and really just got burnt out. It's the, the interesting thing, and this is probably why I do the work that I do, is that each of the that career journey was not necessarily one that I laid out for myself. It was one that opportunities would become available or or a mentor or somebody would say, this would be great for you to do. And I did it. And at the time I was about to turn 50, I looked at my career and the trajectory I was heading and I didn't like it. And I didn't want to go in that direction. And I thought life's too short. And I happened to have been in a major car accident Um, a near fatal car accident that had it hit me head on, I wouldn't be here. And that made me start thinking, you know, I want to live my best life. I want to do things that make me happy and not just climb the corporate ladder, go after something because it looks good to the outside world, but doesn't really suit me. And the first thing I did uh, when I decided to walk away was I was doing a lot of work with women around executive presence and confidence and how they showed up and speaking and things of that nature. But I would always have conversations with the women I was working with about them not being happy in their role and not really loving what they're doing and wish they could do something else. But the golden handcuffs had them tied down because, you know, they had the corner office and the salary and, you know, their their family depended on their salary because they were making more than everyone else and just feeling really trapped in a gilded cage, you know, it seemed beautiful to the outside, but it was, they were dying on the inside. And I knew that experience. And so I went from doing that work to really start working with women, utilizing what I did in my doctoral research and my own experience of having transitioned out to really help women gain that clarity around what they want to do. And then the confidence and strategy to be able to step into what they wanted to do. So that was, that's kind of been my journey. And, you know, I wish I knew somebody like me probably when I was 40 (laughs) as opposed to 50, you know, but I'm grateful for what I went through because it definitely has informed my work and it lets me help women in various levels and industries because of my own background experience. You talked about having a mentor and your, or your mentors and they were helping you 
di- or not direct you, but they were guiding you, I suppose, yeah. in your career. How important is a mentor or a sponsor or just a friend in the building of a career and the building of confidence in a career? That's a really great question because it's a double-edged sword. It is, they are, it's fabulous. I believe strongly in working in community of other like-minded women to lift you up, to push you forward when the world is doubting you and making you feel like you're crazy because you're deciding to go left when everyone else is going right. It's awesome to have a community of support, but I think it's, it helps more when you have the clarity of what you want to do and, and your own sense of confidence about where you want to go. Because if you don't, well-meaning mentors, sponsors, and friends can lead you in a direction that really isn't the right direction for you because they think it's good. And that's actually what, that's actually what happened to me is that I wasn't sure which way I should go or direction I should go. And well-meaning people who had my best intention at heart said, this is what you should do. I mean, you have the skill sets, you have the ability, you'd be fabulous doing this. And I thought, okay, but what I realized is not what I wanted to do. And I didn't know that until I got into it, but that's the challenge. You can have people who have your best intention at heart, but if you don't have the clarity and support, uh, the clarity or idea where, about where you want to go and the confidence to stand up for yourself, you can find yourself led someplace that doesn't make sense for you. So for me, it's important to begin the journey of getting that clarity and confidence and then finding that community that can support you in your direction, as opposed to trying to guide you someplace that they think is good for you or society thinks is good for you or looks good, but doesn't really make the best sense for you. And you did a PhD and you mentioned it briefly. What was the subject? What did you cover and what was your thesis? Yeah, so I studied um, gender and racial identity development, and my focus was on the experiences of how women determine what they want to do with their lives and how organizational organizations can really support that in, in the context of where they find themselves. So, so it specifically was looking at the experiences of stepping into your career and the implications in organizations, but I studied human development, social psychology, and identity development, and that really serves me well with the women that I work with, because it is all about how do we figure out who we are and what we want to do in the world, right? And in relationship to that, into what organizational settings are more supportive of that type of work, what's the best place for you to be? And I also, because I was doing organizational consulting at the time, how organizations can support women and women leadership in, you know, fostering a space, creating an environment that allows people to be able to be their best while they're in the workplace. So this podcast focuses on women of all shapes, sizes, locations, colors, you know, all that sort of thing. But you said about your thesis was looking at gender and race. Yeah. With the, the race overlay, what are the further challenges for women in the workplace? Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of intersections, right? So there's there's race, there's age, and there's gender, right? So there's so women are always operating, whether you're in your 20s or you're in your 50s, you're always operating at those at those three intersections because depending on the environment that's either very male-dominated or an environment that doesn't have a lot of diversity in there, or an environment that's age-biased, 
around, you know, like I think tech, for example, is an industry that's very age biased because it tends to go toward young and it has this bias around older people that, you know, you are totally outdated, like you're past your expiration date, go sit down someplace. (laughs) So, so navigating at those intersections is really challenging. And so it's really important to understand that when you're trying to navigate your career and what you want to do and where you want to do your career and where you get the support in that. And so that's, and so I focus around the intersection at those levels um, at a different perspective and a different spectrum with older women, because ageism is really strong at this population. And it also is one of the reasons that is challenging for midlife women to think about doing career pivots or shifts because they think, well, who's going to hire me? And, you know, I'm two seconds off retirement. Like, why would I do something different at this juncture? So getting their mindsets around that, no, you are not past your expiration date, the way people may have uh, make you feel that there's still a lot of life to live and a lot of opportunities for you is a challenge. But it's the same thing on the other perspective. If you're in your 20s or your 30s, Maybe you want to move into leadership and being taken serious enough or, quote unquote, not having enough experience or, you know, there's so many factors that are against women. And so um, at a variety of age, race and gender, sexual orientation and the like, and I work with I work with, you know, all populations as well from that perspective. So there's always these different challenges and lens through which to look at how are you going to show up and how are you going to get the support that you need to be successful? You said something about pivoting and midlife women, they have a fear of pivoting to something else because they feel like they've they've reached their expiration date. Is that why many women of a certain age, and I put myself in this, choose to set up their own business? Because there's no limits to what age you are or who you are and what you look like and all that sort of thing. Yeah, you get to create your own economy, you know, and, and that takes a lot of courage to be able to do that. But I do find, and and even during the pandemic and all of that, we've seen a lot of influx of people starting businesses, and we see a lot of people in their uh, midlife who have started businesses. I mean, statistically, that's been really huge, and I believe that's exactly why. You know, it's kind of like taking my marbles, and I'm just going to go play over here because I get to set the terms, and I don't have to have the limitations of how you feel about what I'm capable of doing or the salary you think I should make or how far I can go up in the company, and so it's easier for me just to create my own as opposed to going something else. It, it, it definitely was a factor in me starting my own business in that, you know, when I looked around to see and really think about what I really wanted to do, the impact I wanted to make and the work that I wanted to do, I really didn't see it anywhere. Or if I saw it, it was, there were so many limitations around it that, I knew I did not want to deal with that. Plus, I'm a little bit rebellious at heart anyway, and I don't, I've always been a rebel against authority and leadership. So, so I don't like being told what to do that much. So that was always a factor. But yeah, to your point, absolutely. I think that is why at the midlife, the, the opportunity or the thought of like, I'll just start my own becomes much more palatable than, than years before. Now, I really want to talk about your TEDx talk because it's so good and we spoke about this when we first met and the title is what did you leave behind and I love it I watched it again this morning actually became uh, before we came on because I just think it's it's really good can you tell everybody what the what it's about and where you got the idea from yeah well thank you I appreciate that yeah I years ago I was looking you know you get one of these magazines and I forget which one it was it maybe a diversity or HR type magazine and there was an ad in there and which I think it was by price 
Waterhouse. And at the top of it, it asked the question, it said, what did you leave behind when you came to work today? And then it had a list like your accent, your yarmulke, your cross necklace, your hairstyle. Um, You know, it just had this laundry list of things. And it struck me so powerfully that I've never forgotten. And so when I did my TEDx talk, I probably saw that ad 15 years earlier, but it's stuck in my mind because I thought about that. Like, yeah, what am I leaving behind? How am I not showing up fully and present in my work because I'm trying to fit in or I don't want to stand out or seem like I'm not a team player or, you know, um, you know, as a black woman that I don't want to be offensive or I I remember like my hair, I wear my hair in locks. And I know for years I didn't do that because people told me that's not professional and people won't take you seriously. And so I just think about how much I had conformed and shifted myself in order to fit other people's expectations and really not be able to show up fully at work. And so that TED Talks is is really about that. It's about stop trying to find places where you can fit in and instead look for places where you can belong fully so that you're not dissecting and getting rid of all the best parts of yourself to make somebody else comfortable or happy, but find places where you can show up fully and present in terms of who you are so that you can do your best work because all of you is there and you feel full and engaged and excited and accepted and appreciated and valued. And if all that's there, you can do your best possible work ever if that's the case. And there's a real tension or a challenge with that. So finding your space where you can be authentic and you can be yourself and I can turn up as Vanessa and the true full Vanessa because the construct of business largely is very masculine. It's, is that's just the way it's been built because that's, that's a historic reason. And I'm not going to go into the reasons why, but it just is. And so how do people find as women find that place where they can be authentic because it's a challenge. Yeah. You know, it's, it takes a lot of investigation and research. You know, there are places where, you know, I was in law for a long time. And one of the places that I worked, um, I had three different places I worked in my legal career. And one of, one of the places we could wear shorts and t-shirts every day. It was amazing. And it's totally antithetical to like a traditional law office, but we were able to wear shorts and t-shirts and whatever we wanted, but everyone had their suit behind the door. Cause when you went into court, obviously you had to change and follow the decorum of the court, but the office environment, considering the hours that you work and the heaviness of the case law and things of that nature, it was fun and it was engaging and it was, it was relaxing to be in that space considering the work you had to do. So I say that to say that don't make too many assumptions that even though it is very patriarchally driven, but don't make too many assumptions that there's not some places out there that are professional, that allows you to do your best possible work and achieve whatever levels you want to achieve in your career that won't allow you to show up fully. Um, it's a challenge, but you have to do a little bit of research to figure out what that is. Ask questions, you know, talk to people who work there, um, visit if you, if you can, you know, really to understand the culture and the best way to understand whether or not you fit 
in that culture, if that culture is aligned to your values, is to really know what your values are, to know where and how you like to work, um, to know all of what you bring to the table, and to really asking those questions to see if you would be welcome. Look who works there already. Look to see how they're showing up. Look to see if you know you're reflected or if there's a presence, you know, for you there. All of that information is readily available to you for you to ask the questions about whether or not this is a place you can belong and not just some place you'll fit in. And if you can't find it, have the confidence to start your own. I would say. Absolutely. Create your own. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> now you talk, you said values. And I was I was thinking actually around values because values in my day and probably the same with you, when you were doing your career conversations at school, nobody ever said values to me. What do you value? What are your beliefs? And I guess there's a generation who actually don't know what their values are. And that's a that's a huge void to stay to step into or to stare into when you're 48. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. We don't ask that question. We just ask what are the skill sets and what you can do and, you know, maybe how much you want to get paid. And so we don't ask any of those personal questions about what do you value? What makes you feel alive? You know, what, what, who do you want to work with? How do you want to engage with them? All of those deeper questions are the ones we absolutely don't ask. And I think in this day and generation, particularly, like I said, what we've seen with the pandemic over the last couple of years, you know, I feel like we're turning more toward asking the questions around value and purpose and alignment and things of that nature way more than we ever have in the past. But you're right. It is, it, it is a sad statement of affairs that people haven't really done the work of understanding their values. And, and to some degree, you may understand what they are because you probably know what they are more so when they're violated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so you could probably start from that end of the spectrum to before um, if you can't really figure out what are the things you absolutely value. But that is so important to know because you can get clear about whether or not the place that you're working with, if there's really alignment in terms of your values. Um, so I would say spending some time asking yourself the questions about what's important to you and, and values, you know, there's some values that are non-negotiable and there's some values that as long as they're not ve- uh, violated, you're okay with, you know, people aren't necessarily aligned, but at least they're not violating your values is fine. So, so there's also degrees in which, you know, in terms of things that you value how important they need to show up in the workplace um, and and in your career um, is something that you really want to know so that you know how to move forward. And even when you're building your own business, you should know what your values are so that you build a business that's that's based on that. So if you start hiring people or you're taking clients or working with people, you want to work with people in integrity and in relationship to what, to your values and what's important to you. So as we draw the conversation to a close and I really don't want to but we have to what's your one piece of advice for women who want to gain and maintain their confidence yeah that's that's a great question you know I would say really do a deep dive into what is your belief system around confidence like what do you believe confidence is and how would you define it for yourself and what for you makes you feel confident so that you can lean more into that and um, to really fight against any type of self-doubt or or self-criticism that you may be holding so that when it comes your way that you know how to fight against it. So manage your thinking around it, start trusting yourself, believing in yourself, look for your own um, proof 
and accomplishments that you can do things that you have done things and really hold those dear and tightly to yourself so that when you're faced with something else, you can tap into that to know that you can do whatever it is that you set your mind to do. And also embrace your inner rebel. Embrace your inner rebel. (laughs) I'm going to go and embrace mine shortly. (laughs) See what she's telling me. (laughs) Well, Carol, thank you so much for joining me on Women in Confidence. It's been amazing. I've always enjoy talking to you and this is no exception and I'm going to I'm going to absolutely put all the the sort of references to you and how people can find you in the show notes so you might get hit by a lot of stuff (laughs) well thank you this has been an absolute pleasure thank you for the conversation thank you so much for listening to women in confidence and I hope you enjoyed it if you did then please like it share it comment on it and if you want to sponsor it if you'd like to take part in my podcast or know somebody who would make a perfect guest then please email me on contact at vanessa-murphy.com. That's contact at vanessa-murphy.com. Until next time.